Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the podcast, Hidden Signs. I'm your host. My name is Jeff Murray. I'm a professor of marketing at the University of Arkansas. In the last episode, I talked about what I mean by hidden signs. Cultural forces give rise to sign systems, and these sign systems become reservoirs of meaning providing needed context for the development of marketing strategies and identities. When I say sign systems, I mean symbols working together that can be framed in different ways. Most of these sign systems are deeply historical. They seem natural, normal, taken for granted. And because of this, they are hidden. I illustrated this with some interesting examples. The meaning of cool necktie, and anti-tie. Today's episode sets the stage for the other topics in this series. In many ways, it describes the big picture, the forest through the trees, explaining the landscape of consumer research and marketing. Today, I'm going to talk about war. Not the kind of war that you normally think of. This is a war of paradigms. If we are going to understand signs and sign systems that are hidden, we are going to need some tools. Tools that turn hidden signs into visible signs. And by turning hidden signs into visible signs, they become useful signs. These tools are called paradigms. In 1962, while teaching at UC Berkeley, Professor Thomas Kuhn wrote one of the most influential books of the 20th century. The title of this book is The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. Professor Kuhn was a soft-spoken professor who looked a lot like Woody Allen. He was born in 1922 and completed a PhD in physics from Harvard in 1949. While at Harvard, he became interested in the history of science. How does scientific explanation change over time? Why is it that we can be so sure of something in one historical era, only to learn later that this was complete nonsense? For example, since we are currently living through a pandemic, for decades, scientists believed that cholera was passed on through a dreadful scent. Even in the face of solid and irrefutable empirical evidence that cholera only infected people when they drank contaminated water, they were still 100% convinced that it was passed on by being exposed to a terrible smell. Why? Why did these scientists hang on to beliefs that ran contrary to the evidence? Well, in part, Kuhn provides an answer to this question. And this answer is central to helping us understand the paradigm wars in consumer research. Here's an interesting thought experiment. Let's select two bright and curious graduate students. We spend a few weeks educating one of them on the interesting theories and ideas of Freudian psychoanalysis. Here, underline unconscious drives explain behavior. Phenomena such as sex and power become key and with the other student. We spend a few weeks educating them on the interesting theories and ideas of Marxist economics. Here, control of the means of production, economic exploitation, 
and income inequality become key. Concepts create a thinking language, so each student has a different language to think with, a different lens from which to understand the world. Then, we give them each a copy of the New York Times and ask them to read the articles. Using their new thinking language as a lens, we ask the students to mark ideas that endorse or support their perspective. Well, the student who understands Freudian psychoanalysis would find cooperation and verification of their perspective in nearly every article they read. They might blurt out, Wow! Freud really explains the world. And the student who understands Marxist economics would also find cooperation and verification of their perspective in the same set of articles. They might shout, Marx was a genius. He explains everything. How can we explain the differences in interpretation between these two students? Well, Kuhn would say that cultural contexts events, and observations are incredibly complex. The number of available facts and questions that can be asked is potentially infinite. Thus, we need some type of filter, something that helps us map the context, enabling us to find meaning in the events and observations. This filter is like an elaborate drawing that is not yet complete and needs to be filled in with color and detail. Kuhn called these drawings the lens from which we view the world, paradigms. So, why did the scientists who are studying cholera continue to believe that it was spread with a foul odor, even when faced with evidence to the contrary? And why did the student who studied Freud see this perspective everywhere? And the student who studied Marx see this perspective everywhere? Kuhn would say that scientists have the same cognitive pitfalls that we all have. The first is called confirmation bias. This means that people selectively notice and remember only the subset of evidence that supports their expectations. Finding confirming instances is easy. People see what they expect to see. At the same time, they miss those things that don't support their expectations. This is called change blindness. In other words, the thinking language or lens that you are using to engage the world only brings certain things to life for you. It allows you to see some aspects of the world. Confirmation bias but also diverts your attention from other aspects of the world. Change blindness. You are probably thinking, what does all this have to do with the paradigm wars? Hang with me, I'm getting there. Here in Fayetteville, we have a fantastic farmer's market. Locally grown flowers, produce, meat, eggs, baked goods, plants, arts and crafts, musicians and nonprofits fill the downtown square every Saturday morning, a potpourri of music, sounds, colors, and a parade of friendly dogs. How would a consumer researcher understand consumer behavior in this market? As noted earlier in the episode, cultural contexts are incredibly complex. 
We need some type of filter or thinking language that helps us explain things. When I am at the farmer's market, there is so much going on. Where do I start? I need a lens. And as noted earlier, this filter or lens, this thinking language, is referred to by Kuhn as a paradigm. I'll come back to the farmer's market later. Now, I need to introduce another piece of the puzzle. Consumer research as a discipline evolved out of neoclassical economics. This phrase, neoclassical economics, was originally introduced by Thorstein Veblen in 1900. It is based on three very important assumptions. First, consumers have rational preferences which can be identified and associated with what they value. Note that the key word here for us is the word rational. Second, individual consumers are able to acquire what they value by acting on these rational preferences. And finally, consumers act independently on the basis of full and relevant information. Now, add a dose of psychology to this economic perspective, and consumers become rational information processors. There you go. We have the first paradigm for consumer research. Here, consumers are thinking machines, processing information, and making carefully thought-out decisions on actions that will best fulfill their needs. They engage in reasoned action. If I were to ask the question, what causes consumer behavior, the oldest and most dominant paradigm, the thinking language or lens in consumer research, answers this question by stating that it is mental process, thinking, rational problem solving, that causes the consumer to behave as they do. And recall Kuhn. Confirmation bias and change blindness. When consumer researchers study consumption with this paradigm as a lens, this is what they find. Consumers using their executive reasoning powers to navigate the problems of acquisition and consumption. We are thinking machines. When using this paradigm to understand consumer behavior at the farmer's market, we would see phenomena related to needs, goals, thinking and reasoning through purchases, and finding the best options for the best value. This paradigm dominated consumer research for a long time. Some would say that it still does. Is this paradigm useful for revealing hidden signs? Let's save this question for later. Let's move the history forward nearly a hundred years after Veblen introduced the phrase neoclassical economics. Kevin Roberts, then CEO of the advertising agency Saatchi & Saatchi, argued that brands are running out of juice. He asks, what can rescue brands? What builds loyalty that goes beyond reason? Roberts' questions represented a paradigm shift. The consumer does not reason their way through life. They feel their way through life. Consumer researchers began to replace rationality and thinking 
with emotion and feeling. Roberts wrote a famous book stating that the future beyond brands is love, and he called this future love marks. In many ways, this new thinking language or lens, this new paradigm, was a reaction to reason and rationality. People are not computers. They are not robots. They have complex emotional lives, and these emotions can explain consumer behavior. If we were to use this paradigm to explain behavior at the farmer's market, we would focus on the sounds, the music, the laughter, the friendship, and how the emotional entrainment of the atmosphere moves one through the market. So, we have a second answer now to the question, what causes consumer behavior? And we have a second paradigm. And because of confirmation bias and change blindness, researchers working from the thinking or cognitive paradigm believe that they are right. And researchers working from the feeling or behavioral paradigm believe that they are right. So they argue. They fight. They are at war. Does this second paradigm help us reveal hidden signs? Again, let's save the answer to this question for later. I've been lucky enough in my career to teach around the world. When I think of my students in North America, Central America, Scandinavia, China, or Australia, they share some things. At times, they are rational. They do reason their way through life. I can find confirming instances of the thinking paradigm. And at other times, feeling and emotion upstages rationality. Again, I can find confirming instances of the feeling paradigm. More fundamentally, where they call home, where they were raised, where they learned to consume, seems to better explain differences in consumption lifestyles. This insight led researchers to something new. They began to believe that the key to answering the question, what causes consumer behavior, is culture. These researchers moved away from psychology and asked for help from sociologists and anthropologists. In time, this became a third paradigm. We will call it the cultural paradigm. One consumes as they do because of the culture they are from. If I were to use this paradigm to understand the farmer's market, I would focus on lived experience. At the market, I would see families that I have known for a long time, teenagers walking around that I knew when they were babies, organic farmers that have shared stories with me for years, musicians that I have danced to at dive bars on Dixon Street along the way. This place is filled with stories with me as a character. The stories I live by, it is linked to my identity. It is my community, my home, and this is why I go and why I buy things. We now have three paradigms. The thinking, drawing on cognitive psychology. The feeling, drawing on behavioral psychology. And the cultural, drawing on sociology or anthropology. Representatives of each paradigm believe that they are right when explaining why the consumer behaves as they do. In fact, these various paradigms form their own communities or camps. 
and each camp struggles to gain recruits. They compete with each other for journal space, awards, resources, and influence. And, like any in-group, out-group struggle, the scramble for power can get personal. But is it really war? Well, it can be. It was 1946. Ludwig Wittgenstein, representing one paradigm in the philosophy of science, was debating Karl Popper, who represented a different paradigm. They were debating in front of a small group of scholars at the Cambridge University Moral Sciences Club. Now, things became so heated that Wittgenstein picked up a hot poker from the fireplace that was warming the room and began to threaten Popper with it holding it high in the air and waiting for the right moment to bring it crashing down on Popper's head. Wittgenstein's doctoral students were quick to act, pulling him back. Wittgenstein threw the fireplace poker to the floor and stormed out of the room. True story. Every discipline in academia is characterized by competing paradigms. And if these paradigms become linked to identity, it can become tribal, and when it does, we have the paradigm wars. So, if we need a lens or a paradigm to investigate a phenomenon, like the farmer's market, and if a paradigm only reveals a small part of this phenomenon, then how in the world can we understand anything? If I am only understanding a small slice of the farmer's market, I am not really getting it. I want to understand the whole thing. This is the point. And in our case, we need a tool to help us understand hidden signs. Well, we have some options. There are at least three strategies. The first strategy is to use just one paradigm and argue that it explains most of what is going on in the phenomenon. Become an expert in one approach and use it skillfully and creatively. I call this option paradigmatic. It is often this option, where people learn one way of understanding things that they believe is right, that leads to war. The second strategy is to use multiple paradigms. If each paradigm brings to life a different facet of what we are trying to understand, then the more paradigms, the better. Eventually, we will triangulate onto an understanding of the whole thing. I call this option multi-paradigmatic. The third strategy is often used when we want to understand one aspect of the world in depth, just a facet of the phenomenon. Here, we take bits and pieces of each of the paradigms and use them together to understand one thing. I call this option interparadigmatic. Inter, I-N-T-E-R, meaning across. This is the strategy that I will use. We want to understand one thing, hidden signs. So we will be somewhat pragmatic and use aspects of each paradigm. The cultural paradigm is crucial in that signs and symbols, or semiotic codes, are cultural in their essence. And these sign systems are deeply historical. And signs and symbols need to be interpreted. And their interpretation will depend on memory and inevitably lead to attitudes and actions. This is thinking or the cognitive paradigm. And finally, bodies, movement, and emotion are part of the symbolic. This is the behavioral paradigm. 
we need to draw from all three of these. I noted at the beginning of this episode that I was going to describe the big picture, the forest through the trees, explaining the landscape of consumer research and marketing. So, if this landscape is war-torn, we're going to be peacekeepers, shattering the rigid boundaries of historical paradigms by drawing fragments from each, and in the process, learn how to transform hidden signs into the visible. Principally, this process depends on an understanding of culture. So in my next episode, I will continue our journey by exploring the meaning of this word, culture. This concludes the second episode of Hidden Signs. My name is Jeff Murray. Special thanks to Seth Murray for composing original music for this podcast. Thank you for listening. 